Well, good morning. I'd like to invite you to join me as we read God's Word together, reading from the book of Nehemiah, beginning chapter 1 at verse 4, reading through verse 11. That's Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. God's Word says the following. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to, the, to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night. For the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I'm going to tell you something about Gary. When we were up at the Sing Conference in uh, Nashville a couple weeks back, and uh, that's Kristen and Keith Getty do a conference, and I don't know, 20,000 or so folks gather every, every year in Nashville. And so we're walking the streets of Nashville to find a place to eat, you know, for lunch or dinner or whatever. And that guy, it doesn't matter. He is going to connect with people, and he's going to share with people. He's going to love people. And we'd be in the conference and all of a sudden get a text from Gary. Hey, I just met such and such here on the, and uh, that was Gary, just always out there. And I love, I love your heart, Gary. You don't just love the word, but you live the word. And that's really what at BBF it's about, right? It's not just knowing the Bible. It is important that we know the Bible. And this church is very, it's very focused on that, teaching of the word of God, doctrinal clarity, upholding the truth of God's word, but it's also learning to flesh out what we know. We've got to live it. It's got to be in us. Amen? Amen. So today we're going to actually practice. Today is a day of application. It's going to be, uh, I'll give some exposition here in the beginning. Uh, the whole series in the book of Nehemiah is expositional. We'll be verse by verse breaking down the text. But today I really want to focus time on learning a way to pray. If I were to ask all of you individually, 
What does it mean to you to pray? What is prayer? We would no doubt get a lot of different answers. For some of you, it would be, well, it's communication with God. Others would say, it's an opportunity to lift up my request to God. Others of you would say, well, it's, uh, it's my chance to um, just kind of get away from life and just kind of sit before the Lord and have a moment of just quiet. There's many answers that people give, but I'm going to share something with you today that I find throughout the Bible, a thread of truth that runs through many of the great prayers in the Bible and also many of the great visions that God has given men in the Bible. And I'm going to say to you today that if you want to know what prayer really is in its essence, prayer is worship. Worship isn't some, when I say worship, a lot of times we think we, we're talking about singing. Singing is just one form of worship. Studying the Bible is a form of worship. Praying is worship. But prayer is a way to worship God in a way that maybe uh, you, uh, no, better than any other way that we, can, that we can worship him. And so we're going to take a look at this today. Again, he says in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting at verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, we learned last week. Who is Hakaliah? Who knows? It's the only time his name comes up. Who is Nehemiah? Who knows? He's not mentioned anywhere else in the whole Bible. Now, it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there, there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So the very first thing that Nehemiah, who is a Jew, held in Babylon under the king as a cupbearer, and now in the Persian Empire that has taken over the Babylonian Empire, he's asking, how are things back home? Now remember, I told you last week that the, the exodus back to the promised land from captivity, the captivity of the Jews lasted 70 years. They were hauled out of the promised land. The northern kingdom of Israel was hauled away by the Assyrians, literally using hooks to hook them to put on display. At that time, the Assyrians were, were a great empire, and they hauled the Jews to various locations that they had already conquered. They gave them different names, just like the Babylonians. The southern kingdom lived another 300 years, and then it was hauled off. The southern kingdom was hauled off by the Babylonians. They were given different names. They were separated, even husbands from wives, children from their families, in order to completely remove any remembrance that they were Jews in their past life. And so now we have a situation where the Jews start returning after 70 years. You say, why did all this happen? This is hard for those of you who are maybe new to the faith or learning about the faith. Let me say this. God did it. God had called Israel to be his children it was the least of all the people groups on the earth, and he called them, and he said, you're going to be my representatives on the earth. Through you, my name will be revealed. 
my character, my nature will be revealed to this world. But they had to obey him, keep his commandments, and not intermarry with other nations at that time. And Israel failed. They sinned miserably. And God kept sending prophets, calling them out of their sin, come back, return to me. And they wouldn't do it. So finally, God raised up the Assyrians to take out the north. And then he raised up Nebuchadnezzar to come to the south, set up his tent, and take over Jerusalem. And they destroyed, in Jerusalem, they destroyed the temple. I mean, they brought it down to nothing. They destroyed the walls of the city. And they hauled the southern kingdom of Judah off back into Babylonia. And so, so 70 years, God disciplined Israel. By the way, any good parent will discipline their child. Why? Because they love them. The scripture says that God chastens those whom he loves. And so that's what he was doing. He was loving them by disciplining them. And so then, all of a sudden, after 70 years, they start returning. They're released from captivity. They start returning. And there were three different waves of release. When we get to Nehemiah, this is the third wave, the final wave of Jews that will now be returning to uh, Jerusalem. And so here we see, as I just read for you, that Nehemiah, who is a Jew, who serves the king as the cupbearer in, Babel, in I'm sorry, Persia, a Persian king, he, he is asking, what's going on back home? And they tell him it's not good. The people that have already returned, along with the people who never left, there were a few who were able to scatter and stay in the region, but they're all suffering greatly. Why? Because the walls are missing. The wall is the only thing that keeps the enemy from coming in and, and controlling us. Nehemiah, it says here, he is deeply concerned over that. And he goes into a time of prayer in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Although Nehemiah was neither a prophet or a priest, he had a deep sense of Jerusalem's significance to God and was greatly distressed that affairs there had not advanced the cause and glory of God. The first thing Nehemiah does when he's confronted with the condition of his people and their homeland, he turns to God. What do you do? What's the first thing you do when trial comes your way? When you hear of a friend who's going through a deeply burdensome time, what do you do first? That says a lot about who you are in relationship to God by that answer. Nehemiah, we know, worshiped the Lord even while he was in Persia. And, and so when he heard of the trials and the troubles of his people and of the, city, the condition of the city, he turns to God. Okay? We can break this prayer that we're going to be studying this morning into four parts. 
And I want you to write these down. If, if you, I don't have a copy of the, hold, hold yours up, honey, if you would, for people to see. Uh, we have these journals. That's a Nehemiah journal. You can get in the back. It's got the entire book of Scripture written in it, but it also has blank pages for you to write your own notes as the Spirit of God speaks to you or just things that you find interesting in the text or in the message. But I'd like for you to write down four words. Let's break this prayer into four parts. And by the way, this prayer is not unlike many other prayers in the Bible. These four parts are in all prayers just about. So all I'm doing is just looking at prayer in general and seeing some, a thread that runs through, generally speaking, most prayers in the Bible. First of all, put reverence. Reverence. Secondly, put response. Thirdly, request. And fourthly, readiness. Reverence, response, request, readiness. You'll find that same pattern of prayer in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. You'll find that same pattern in Isaiah's experience in chapter 6 when he enters the temple and there he sees the Lord seated on the throne, highly exalted and his robe filling the temple. And the same four things are found in that experience. You'll see the same four things found in the pattern of 2 Chronicles chapter 5 through 7 where Solomon, the king, after building the temple, now he begins to pray and he seeks God. You'll find reverence, response, request, and readiness. So let's break this down. Verse 5, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his command commandments. So first of all, again, let me just say, here, here he is, and the very first thing he does is he looks up in his prayer. The first thing he does he looks up. What's the first thing that we do in prayer? And, and, and each of us are unique and different. What is it that you do when you first start praying? Some of us go right to the grocery list of things we need from God, don't we? Let's just be honest, okay? Some of us approach prayer differently. Maybe you start with a scripture passage. I don't know what you do, but, but the first thing we should do is revere God, Get the right picture of God. And you won't get the right picture of God if you look down. you got to look up. you got to see him for who he is. So we want upward. We want to go upward first in our prayer life. And that is showing reverence. That's seeing God for who he is. Who is he? He's transcendent. He's above us. He's nothing like us. He's eternal, always has existed. He didn't start existing when he created the heavens and the earth in Genesis. He existed before the beginning. None of us existed before the beginning except what God saw. We're finite. He's infinite. We're limited in our knowledge and understanding. He sees and knows everything before it even happens. He would be a phenomenal gambler. Because God has foreknowledge of everything. If you're not sure about what I'm saying, let me just tell you that I'm going to let Scripture defend Scripture. Turn, not right now, but in your Bible, write Psalm 139. And just study Psalm 139. 
Go to the ones this week, that's your homework. Go to Psalm 139 and let God speak to you and let him let you see who he is and how familiar he is with you as an individual. But there's this readiness. But it only can come if there's a request, and only can come if there's a response, and only can come if there's a reverence. It starts with reverence. As I focus on the God who is, I am naturally drawn to respond to God rather than God respond to me. That's what keeps prayer healthy. Prayer is not primarily about me. Prayer primarily is about God. And by the way, he's not the God who did in the past. He is the God who is, always has been, and always will be. Because he is, all is well. All right, man, that should have gotten some amens. Let me just say that again. Because he is, all is well. Either, listen, either you believe that he's sovereign or you don't. But if you've been walking around all these years believing and talking how sovereign God is and you can't amen that, then you need to get yourself back in line with God because he's either sovereign or he's not. And if he's not sovereign, he's not God. Your God knows everything, sees all, has it been in everything. Listen, Colossians says this of Jesus, that, listen, He's in all, he is all, everything holds together because of him, everything. Either that's true or it's not. So you don't start prayer with you. You start prayer with God. You say, but I've got this deep, deep burden. If it's that deep, it'll overwhelm you if all you do in prayer is focus on it. You got to start with a picture of God of his transcendent power, his awesomeness. And then when you see him for who he is, now, does it really matter how big the problem is you're facing? He can handle it. Your God can handle it. So let me give you several things that should happen in this first part of prayer where we turn upward, we turn to God himself, and we revere God. First of all, worship him in the moment. Why don't you start that way with prayer? Just in the moment. Just focus on God. Don't say a word. For alone my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from him. Just sit with the Lord. Maybe open up the scripture and start letting scripture speak of the attributes and the character of God. You want some passages that I can give you as a way to begin with reverence in your prayer life? Here you go. Number one, why don't you think about Psalm chapter 30? Let's just stay right there. How about Psalm 32? How about Psalm 33? How about Psalm 130? How about Isaiah chapter 40? How about Micah chapter 7 verses 18 through 20? Three verses in Micah. Let me, let me read that for you. If you want to have a right thought to begin your prayer life, get a right picture of God. Listen to this. This will blow your mind. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant 
of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Listen, that's his nature. God has a steadfast love in his nature. He doesn't turn it on and turn it off. He's always love. That's why scripture says God is love. Verse 19, he will again have compassion on us. Listen to this. This just, man, I could, this just, I could just meditate on this. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. What that just said is all the sins that I have committed in my life, all the sin that I'm going to commit, not because I have a life, a behavior, of a pattern of sin, but because I'm flesh and blood and I'm going to fall short. Can anybody say, I agree? You get it. Okay, those of you who couldn't, you're, you're playing a church game right now. You think that you've got it all together. You want to present yourself as having it all together. You ain't got it all together. Nobody in this room does. Only Jesus has it all together. And when I'm honest, I have to know that if I just focus on my sins, and if I thought like David, that God is marking my iniquities against me, what David said, who could stand? It would be over. If God's keeping track of my iniquities, oh my. David went into despair over that thought. But then he comes right out of it and he says, but there is forgiveness in you. And all of a sudden he goes from the deepest low to the highest high, from despair to delight, because he saw God for his nature to forgive. And that's what Micah is saying here. He says he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. How many sins? You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. See, that, that's, that's preparing yourself for the worship of God. Focus on some scripture. Or maybe where you begin is as you think about God, you just immediately break out into thanksgiving. You just can't help yourself. God, you're awesome. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. It's awesome. So let's look again, just real quick, at this verse, verse 5, and let's see Nehemiah's reverence. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, he's transcendent. Nehemiah is reminding himself, my God's transcendent. The great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's saying, my God is faithful. My God is awesome. My God is great. My God keeps his covenant with those who keep covenant with him. My God never breaks covenant. That gives Nehemiah the right attitude the right focus as he now continues in his prayer he says let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that i now pray before you day and night for the people of israel your servants and look at this confessing the sins of the people of israel which we have sinned against you even i and my father's house have sinned 
we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Now we move into the second part of prayer, and that is we look downward, inward, and we respond to God. Once we see God for who he is in his holiness, in his majesty, in his splendor, all of a sudden we see in contrast how far we are from him. None of, nobody here is filled with majesty other than the work of Christ on the cross for them. But of yourself, there's no majesty, there's no splendor, there's no holiness. And when you see God and who he is, all of a sudden it causes you to look within and go, oh my goodness, I am nothing like him. I am a wretched sinner in his eyes. So our response is all about yielding to the Holy Spirit as he invites us to repent, to confess our sins. And that's what he does. Confessing the sins of the people, which is always easy. If we, if we had little small groups here and I said, okay, start confessing sin. Here's what y'all would do. Lord, I, 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 I just want to say that I, I, I pray for my friend who's in sin and We're not so quick to confess our sin, are we? But when you see God for who he is, the first thing that will come out of your mouth is, Lord, I am undone before you. Isaiah chapter 6, God shows up on the day at the temple when Isaiah, the prophet of God, goes there to mourn the death of King Uzziah. He walks in, and he has a vision. He sees the Lord highly exalted, sitting on the throne, his train filling the temple. We, we know what a train is, right? We've been to weddings. The bride comes in and has a train that drags behind her. What Isaiah saw was a train that literally filled the whole room. And immediately, the threshold begins to shake. And the room fills with smoke at the presence of holy God. And then the angels, the seraphim, they are flying around with three wings, three sets of wings. With two wings, they cover their eyes in the presence of holy God. With two wings, they fly, and two wings that cover their feet. The part of them that is earthy, that, that touches the earth. And they sing, and they, they, they speak, they don't sing, they speak out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And when Isaiah sees this, and this is a prophet of God. This is a man of God. He immediately says, I am literally coming apart in the presence of God. I thought I was a man of integrity, but I'm disintegrating in his presence. He's so holy. 
and he begins to confess his sin. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And an angel goes over and with a tong takes a coal from the fire and puts it on his lips, purifies him. And the Lord says, whom shall I send? And he said, send me. Transition. What you see there is you see reverence. You see response. You see request. And you see readiness. And that's what we're seeing in this passage. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is our worship? Our worship is to be a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. That only happens once. You kill yourself and it's over. Oh, no, a living sacrifice before the Lord God. Every day. I put flesh on the cross. I, I, I put my flesh to death that I might be a vessel that God can flow through and use. Amen? This is what Nehemiah is saying. This is what he's up to. He says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. So he's confessed his sin. Now he's reminding God of what God has once said to Moses. Now, he's not reminding God because God forgot. It's really he's remembering himself what God said to Moses. God never forgets anything. And so they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. He's saying, God, the Jews are nothing apart from you. We were the least on the face of the earth. We amount to nothing. You are the reason that we are great. And we talked about that last week, that here God is about to use Nehemiah to go and help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem the walls of Jerusalem. That's a huge city, and that's a huge wall. And he does the whole thing. The Lord raises up that people that are there. They complete the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. But look at this. Nehemiah before God says, not only are we sinners, but God, you are faithful. And we are returning from our sin life. We're coming back to you, and we're wanting you to do something new in us. Use us once again. We said from the foundation of Vero Bible Fellowship, we are not here to come up with visions and dreams and goals and ask God to bless them. We will not do that. We are here to try and join God in what he's already doing. Just show us what you're up to. What, you, what are you doing, God? Can we join you in that? That's how this fellowship got started, and that's how it's been from day one. We're not here to try to come up with plans. Many are the plans of a man's heart. The Lord's plan prevails. So why not just go ahead and do it his way? Amen. This property, we're so excited about it. You're excited about it. But we are only doing that because the Lord's leading us to do that. If the Lord wasn't leading, we wouldn't do it. The last thing I want to do is be out of the will of God. It has to be God. Amen? 
So what's the res- in, in our response, what, what's it all about? It's about seeing God who, as he is. It's about acknowledging and surrendering, surrendering to God's will. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to speak, to call us to repentance, to confess our sins. That's what you do. So you start with a high view of God, and now you move into yourself and go, my goodness, I'm nothing like him. Father, forgive me for my sinfulness. Father, I want to line back up with you. See, prayer is not you praying something and changing an outcome. Prayer is you changing because God is God in your prayer life. You're letting God be God. Then we go inward. We go request. Now that we have rightly worshipped our God and Savior, we've wholly surrendered to him for our lives, now we can boldly bring our requests before him. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The prayer focus is offering requests in accordance with God's will. Passionate petitions of personal needs. Now you have your prayer list. Go ahead. Now's the time. You didn't start with it. It wasn't even the second part. First was God. Second was you getting right with God. Thirdly is now can I lift my needs to you, Father? Because now, listen, I'm praying according to your will. Remember when Jesus prayed that in the garden? Father, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass for me. Cup, many times in the Bible, signifies or denotes judgment. And that's what he was going to do. Go to the cross, and he was going to bear the cup, the judgment of God on the cross. And he said, if there's any way that I can somehow get out of that, that was his total humanness speaking. But he wasn't just fully human. He was fully God. So what did he say? Lord, if there's a way possible to get out of this that I don't have to take on your judgment, that would be awesome. But then he prayed right after that, not my will, but thine be done. So he made his request, but he said, but I'm going to line up with you. By the way, God answered the prayer not the way he wanted because by noon the next day Jesus was hanging on the cross which says what God the Father is saying there is no other way not only to Jesus but to you and I there is no other way for salvation than through Jesus and his shed blood Apart from his work, we're all destined for eternal death and hell. And God doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. But you've got to do it his way. And that's what this is about, this, this inward, okay? Now I'm going to share my request with God. And what was his request? Look at verse 11, the latter part. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. What man? The king. I'm a cupbearer to the king. I hope to take this request to the king to somehow help my home country. If he would release me to go back where I could help lead the rebuilding of the walls. And so that's his request. Not my will, but thine be done. He's placed it in the hands of God. Now we see the last part, the outward readiness. The outward readiness. He's, and it's right there again. 
Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Give me success today as your servant. What's the success? What's the readiness? Prepare me for what we're going to do when we return. He's already believing that God's going to open the door for him to go back. Why? Because he believes that's God's will. He's already explained it as he read what Moses said to God in the commandments. And he's saying, we're going to commit to the commandments. Therefore, we know you'll commit to us. And we want to rebuild that city for your namesake. This is your will, Father. So now all of a sudden, he's preparing himself. He's getting ready. So how do you do that? How do we prepare ourselves for, with readiness in our prayer life? I'll tell you how. Use scripture. That's the Lord's Prayer, by the way. That's the model for prayer in Matthew 6. It also draws people to focus toward God as opposed to their own needs or requests. It provides a model to experience life-giving prayer and, that can be applied to nearly any passage of Scripture. You, you, the whole purpose of prayer is for you to get ready for God to do something. So I start with God. I look in. I see sin. I, ask, I confess my sin. I thank him for who he is. And then I go and share my request. Lord, here's what I would desire to do for you. But Father, not my will, but thine be done. And now the last thing is, Lord, get me ready for this. Let me shore up and build up in the word of God so that I can carry out whatever it is you're up to. I want to join you in your work. Now you're ready to go. You're locked and loaded. Ready to go out. This is prayer. This is worship. Prayer is worship. Worship is always God-centered. So I first see him for who he is. That's God-centered. I then confess my sin in light of the fact that I saw who he is and who I am. That's God-centered because only God can change me. And, and then... I'm going to share my request. Why? Because he's God. He's bigger than my problems. He's the guy that needs to hear it. That's God-centered. And then finally, prepare me, Lord. Don't let me just be a person who shares request after request after request and does nothing but sit on my gluteus maximus. Father, prepare me. Use me. Like Isaiah whom shall I send, the father said. And Isaiah said, Lord, send me. You didn't cleanse me to just be sitting in a pew chair once a week. You saved me. You forgave me. You've empowered me to fulfill your will on this earth. Amen? Amen. Now let's pray. We're going to pray. And we're going to practice what we just learned. We're going to look at the four ways to pray. But I'm going to read for you how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Just listen to this. See if you can find the four elements of prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What did Jesus teach his disciples to start with? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, 
as a church body, we come now to a point after looking at this prayer from your word, your eternal word, that will stand forever. Long after we're gone, the word will still stand. And we now want to practice what we've learned. So in this moment, we just take a moment to, to revere you. To see you for who you are right now. Do it, church. In your own heart, see God for who he is. Lord, we, with a right view of you, we turn downward to see ourselves, to see our shortcomings, our failures, our sins, and that compels us to confess. Do that right now, church. Father, we wouldn't confess if we didn't already read from Scripture today how within you there is steadfast love, how you forgive us of our sins. You throw our sins into the sea. You mortify our sins underfoot. Help those today that are here to believe that as they confess before you. Father, that raises up in us a desire to thank you so with gratitude in our hearts, we give thanks to you for being God, for forgiving us. And with a right view of you and a right heart within, we now want to line up with you in your will. And so our prayers of request, we share them, not ordering you what to do, but we bring these before you that 
your will might be done in these things. Let's do that. Bring your request before God right now. Father, we have confidence that you hear us and that you answer prayer, especially when our hearts are aligned with your heart as we ask. We thank you for that, knowing that every part of this prayer is an act of worship before you. And now, God, we ask you to make us ready to not just be people that pray, but people that live out our prayers. Use us, Lord. Tell the Lord you're ready for him to use you in whatever way he chooses. He's the master. You're the servant. He's the shepherd. You're the sheep. Tell him you'll follow him, whatever he asks of you. Amen. I've been praying all week, and my prayer has been that the Lord would change this congregation and how we as individuals pray, that we would start seeing prayer as an act of worship, that in all facets of prayer, God is first. God is the one who gets the glory in all facets that you would start using scripture to remind you of the character and nature of your God. I I've given you several passages. There's, there's, there's thousands of them. But use those in order to begin your prayer life and worship him in your prayer. Amen? Amen. I hope this has been helpful to you. We've practiced it. Now you live it every day. Take a little extra time, sit with the Lord, go through this process. You'll never regret it. I promise you that. I've never heard a person who truly lines up with God in prayer and sees him for who he is. I've never heard somebody go, man, what a waste that was. <laughs> never. Just like being a Christian. Never met a true believer who's ever went, oh, what a terrible decision. How? What? Why did I do that?
shepherd, one of the shepherds of his flock. We love you, and we want you, we believe that God's called you to worship him in prayer. And it's a mighty tool, a great weapon that Satan cannot stop. And it will get you through so much. Amen? Well, today uh, is a tough day with Ray and Helen leaving, you know, so we have an opportunity to truly love them, express our love for them. So, uh, Ray and Helen, if you would make your way back there now. I, I want you to go on back because I know what happens. As soon as we let go, people will come to them up here. I want them to be back in the back where we're all supposed to go. And, uh, and let's make our way over there. I think that our hospitality team has just put some finger food things together. Obviously, it's lunchtime. You're going to go eat lunch. So we're not providing lunch, but maybe just something to munch on while you're uh, greeting them, okay? And let's do that. Uh, the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you experience the peace of God today. Amen? God bless you.